to be. We, uh, you guys have been so, uh, you guys have been so gracious to us for, uh, for more than, well, we've been missionaries now. It, Tuesday is the day we leave to go back to uh, the Netherlands, God willing. And that, I didn't know this when I booked the tickets. I wasn't thinking about it. But that is also our 22nd anniversary with Assemblies uh, of God World Missions, I mean. And um, 22 years. And so we're grateful for that. Uh, we've had this, it's been a big uh, term for us. Uh, we went back in, uh, we went to the Netherlands uh, after 17 years in Asia. We went to the Netherlands in August, uh, April of 2016. And uh, nine months later, Dad Clee, we got word that he got promoted to heaven. And that was painful. Wilma Joy came home and helped to take care of the funeral. And then um, about four months after that, I had a kidney stone. It's my first and last by faith. Mercy, I've never had pain like that in my life. And uh, so went in the hospital and had a surgery, get that out and stuff. And then about four months after that, I broke my arm. First time I've ever broken a bone. And it just, you know, when the devil's attacking you one after, you know, you're doing something right. You must be doing something right because he's he's not concerned if we're just occupying a seat in a church. Right. The devil never feels threatened by uh, filled by even churches that are filled up. It can be wonderful if we're pursuing God. But if we're just occupying a space, you know. It can be the worst kind of damnation because we think we're okay and we're not. Um, and then a couple of months after the uh, kidney stone and before I broke my arm, we brought brought Sarah back, our baby. Uh, she'll always be our baby, I suppose, she and Stephanie. But uh, we brought our baby back for Southeastern University uh, to attend studies there. Can you believe it? She has just begun her senior year. She'll graduate uh, next December with a double major in, um, in um, social criminal justice and in social work. And so she's really loving her uh, her job. And Sarah tends to be quiet, but if you ask her about social work, she just, you can't get her to shut up. She, she just starts talking and talking and talking. It's a real passion with her. She wants to help people. And uh, we're grateful for that. And uh, but uh, And then... A few months later, we got word that my dad had been promoted to heaven. So this past uh, term has been quite eventful for us, but there's also been some good things. Joy and I celebrate our 34th uh, wedding anniversary. She's been, you know, but it's not very good for your self-confidence when your wife gives you a mask for your birthday. Now, she tried to dig herself out of that grave and say that she gave it to me because she loves me and she's trying to protect me. But I don't buy that, you know. I think, uh, I think she has ulterior motives. <laughs> Had my 60th birthday this past Monday. I know I don't look a day over 40. Um, and in August, we celebrated 15 years of me being cancer-free. 15 years. Hallelujah. I'm so, thank you. Thank you for celebrating God's mercy and His goodness in our lives. 
because 86% of the people who had the kind of cancer that I had don't survive five years, and we've had two acquaintances to die within three years after the same type of uh, diagnosis and surgery. Uh, but God, but God. Hallelujah. He's got the last word. He always has the last word. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I want to remind you of something you already know. God always has the last word. He always does. Thank you, Pastor Zeno, for letting us come tonight and, um, and share with your people. I know how much you love to preach, so I know what a sacrifice this is. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I was wondering if I was going to have to pay him off to get me to. <laughs> hey, that's an idea, right? Uh, can start charging missionaries who come through. Sam and Shelley, God bless you guys. We had a very good uh, meal with them at Cracker Barrel a few weeks ago. I had some good fellowship. And I told Joy, I said, I think it's a shame that they're on the same campus and we often don't even see each other. But we took the time, and they did, and, and invited us out, and we went to dinner together and had a great time, and it was just a great fellowship. Open your Bible, if you would, to Daniel chapter 3. Uh, I was, when I first got back, and, and we went to, uh, we got our van, and it's a lease vehicle, and, and when we went to the uh, gas station for the first time, I got all excited because gasoline was only $1.89 a gallon, you know. In the Netherlands, it's $7.39 a gallon. No, you did not hear me wrong. $7.39 a gallon. So I don't want to hear you complaining about gas prices, you know. That's the reason we have a speed to light Prius. In fact, when we first got the Prius, I drove for like six weeks on one tank of gas. And I forgot how to open the, where to find the, open the lid. And one thing, pray, Joy asked for your prayer for something else. Pray with me, please, because we come back here, you know, and it's pay at the pump. You stick your card in, you pay. Well, in the Netherlands, they don't have pay at the pump. And when we first went to the Netherlands, there were a couple of times when I almost got the police called on me. Because I got out, filled up my tank of gas, and just about got back in the car and drove off. And so if you hear of a missionary in the Netherlands got put in jail, you'll know who it is trying to steal some gas. Well, at that price, who can blame you, right? But Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to do something uh, maybe a little bit out of the ordinary and read the whole chapter. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, Harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers 
went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews. Racism is not new, you know. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance. To bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God? Somebody say, what God? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, oh, I love that part. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly... Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we throw, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men. Hallelujah. Don't you thank God for the fourth man? I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Or like a son, the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of, now we're changing our tune, the Most High God, come out, come here. I've often wondered if Shadrach and Meshach thought, would you make up your mind, you throw us in here, then you want us back out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads were singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's a, here's a heathen man, a heathen king, nonetheless, giving praise to the God of his servants. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die. 
Rather than serve or worship any God except their own God, therefore I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God that can rescue you like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. I'm going to start to just share a few thoughts that the Holy Spirit I felt impressed on my heart from beginning with verse 14. Beginning with verse 14, those who demand worship feel threatened by those who will not comply. Those who demand worship feel threatened by those who will not comply. Verse 15, those who do not worship God cannot understand the commitment of those who do worship Him. Notice what he said, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So God was being mocked, as Joy sang about a while ago. He was being challenged. Nebuchadnezzar was, was implying certainly not one of your inferior gods could possibly rescue you from my power. Now, one reason, let me just stop and make a note. The reason we do detailed PowerPoints is because when you have 47 different nations represented in your church and English is not the first language for for most of them, then we try to help the people by giving as much of the details as we can. So I hope all the detailed PowerPoint doesn't bother you or anything. If it does, just look away. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of vision. They could see beyond the consequences of the moment. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. One thing that I began to learn some years ago, a few decades, a couple of decades ago, is this. If I fear God, I need not fear anyone else. If I fear God, I don't need to be afraid of others. Anything that they may do, anything that they may say, because I fear God. When King Nebuchadnezzar offered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego one more chance for them to bow down to his image and threaten to execute them, if they did not comply, they responded, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Now, I'd like to offer you a paraphrase of their reply. You don't need to give us another chance. And we don't need to talk about this amongst ourselves. No matter what you do, no matter what God does, we won't, we know what we are going to do. It is the same thing we did yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. The decision has already been made. We don't need to decide today. You may choose to throw us into the fiery furnace or you may change your mind. We are not going to worship your gods. The God we serve is able to save us from the blazing furnace. He may do that and he may not. We don't know what God is going to do because he has not told us. But we do know this. We are not going to worship your gods. Our goal in life is not to stay safe. Our goal is not to do what is easiest or what everybody else is doing. Our goal is not to please you or anyone else. Our goal is to please God. I love that. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, because he had asked what God, and they were going to give him an answer. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. 
Here we have God not mocked and scoffed, but trusted. They trusted him implicitly. Listen to the absolute confidence, the unshakable faith, the remarkable peace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They do not just profess the name of God. They serve him with all their heart. And they are willing to lay their lives on the line. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't, this is my favorite part. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never. Somebody say never. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Listen to the dedication, the loyalty, the unreserved commitment of these three young men. They were brave, fearless, and courageous. They did not know what their future held. See, you and I, we're not nervous when we read this story because we've read the story. We know how it ends, right? So we don't read this story. It reminds me of a... A few years ago, about six or seven years ago, we were in Micronesia, and, and I, I have—I uh, have more than one fault, but that's none of your business. But, but one fault that I have is I, I love college football, and I confess that I really miss it a lot of times overseas when I can't can I, I can't watch it. And somebody showed me how to watch it, but it was not legal, so I couldn't bring myself to do that. But I do love it. I do love college football, and. Uh, one one time when we were in Micronesia, I found out a way that I could watch a legal copy online. It was being offered by one of the uh, national networks online for free after the fact. Of course, this was this was a few days later. And I remember, you know, when I usually watch a college football game, I mean, I don't do anything but what I get into it completely. And I was watching this football and I, uh, football game, and usually when I watch a football game, I'm sweating, you know, and I'm yelling, what did you do that for? What's that? What's stupid, you know? What are you, blind ref? You know, things like that. And I'm sitting there watching this game, and I'm not nervous at all. And Sarah comes by the room and says, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching a football game. She said, you don't seem too concerned. I said, that's because I already know the score. (laughs) She said, but dad, they just made a, that was a bad pass. I said, I know, but I don't care. (laughs) They're going to win. My team is going to win. See, we don't have to be nervous because we know who's going to win, right? We know who's going to (laughs) win. Hallelujah. Isn't it great to be on the winning team? I'm glad I am with Jesus because I'll never be in college football because I pull for South Carolina Gamecocks. They lose about as much as they win. But I still love them anyway. Is that dedication or stupidity? I don't know. Dedication. That's what I'm telling myself anyway. Joy reminds me that she pulls for the Florida Gators. I say, watch your mouth now. The Gators give them Gamecocks are wearing out about once a year, you know. So. All right, off of that. What'd you get that? What'd you get us on that subject for? All right. But even if he doesn't, you know, they didn't know what their future held, but but they knew who held the future. They did not know if it was part of the divine plan to rescue them from the furnace, but their resolve was solid. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the first and second commandments in Exodus 20, and they were going to continue obeying those commandments even if they lost their lives in the process. 
That level of obedience requires extraordinary courage and complete dedication. I love that line. We want to make it clear to you. Would you say that with me? We want to make it clear to you. Now, the Holy Spirit showed me this. You cannot make a thing clear to others unless it is already clear to you. You cannot make it clear to somebody else if it's not clear to you. You cannot make something known to others unless you are certain of it in your own heart and mind. If you want to speak with confidence, then you must be confident. If you hope to convince someone else, then you must first be convinced. And here's the other thing that the Holy Spirit showed me from this scripture. I must say I will to God before I can have the courage to say I will never to the world. That's the reason it's not coincidental that the scripture says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't have the power. I don't have the power to resist the enemy unless I have first submitted to God. I must submit to him first. Then I can have the power to resist the enemy. I must say I will to God before I can have the courage to say I will never to the world. True worship is never conditional. Confess to you, I was in a rather large church on one of our itinerations in a particular year. It was on a Sunday morning and there were several hundred people in the sanctuary. And during the middle of the worship service, the worship leader said something like this. If you feel comfortable doing this, would you lift up your hands and worship God. And I thought to myself, since when was worship ever about my comfort? Worship has nothing to do with my comfort level. In fact, worship has nothing to do with me at all. It has everything to do with God. And the greatest act of worship that this world has ever seen took place about 2,000 years ago on Calvary. When the Son of God stretched His arms out on a cross and died and gave us life by giving up His life. Now that's worship. That's worship. And it was nothing, there was nothing about it that was comfortable at all. So it really doesn't matter whether Miss Christina leads my favorite worship song during the service or not because it's not about me it's about God he's worthy of my worship no matter what song she leads he's worthy of my worship no matter how many or few are present he is worthy so I will worship I make a decision it's not about my feelings it's not about whether I've had a good week or not it's not about whether my cupboard is full or bare he is worthy I will worship I make a decision I choose to worship Him. Verse 28. Let's skip down or I'll never finish up and you'll never invite me back. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 28. Here we have God praised. King Nebuchadnezzar went from questioning their God's ability to praising Him for His power. Those who worship the true God will not insult him by worshiping any false God. They would rather die than be unfaithful. 
How can we demonstrate the kind of conviction and loyalty that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had? What caused them to be so obedient to God and so courageous in the face of death? What are some of the basic elements needed to remain faithful to God? Look more closely at verse 28. The king, a heathen king, said this. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted. Somebody say trusted. Who trusted in him. That's the first thing. Do you really believe God's word? Even when you've been faithful, but someone is threatening to throw you into a furnace? Do you cling to your faith even when common sense and all those around you are saying that you're insane? The second thing that... King Nebuchadnezzar mentioned, and they were willing, they they defied the king's command. They defied the king's command. We must be willing to defy the enemy. We know who the enemy is, right? The enemy is not your husband. The enemy is not your wife. The enemy are not your children. The enemy is the devil. And he doesn't want to take a nibble out of you. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. He is out to destroy your family. He's not playing games. He's played for keeps. Trust God. Defy the enemy. Is your love for God stronger than your love for yourself? If your devotion to God does not exceed your desire for the things of this world, you will fall in defeat. If you don't love the truth and hate all else, you will be easy prey for the deceiver. If you don't stand strong and affirm your allegiance to God, despite the pressure around you from family, friends, or strangers, then the enemy will make your faith look foolish, and he'll make you look like a coward. But I know that you're better than that. You are committed to Christ. You are sold out for Him. So you'll defy the enemy. The third thing is be willing to sacrifice Everything. You got to put it all on the table. Be willing to sacrifice everything. Luke fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. We got to be willing to sacrifice everything for the cause. We're fight. We're fighting for the kingdom and we are in a war, aren't we? Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice, what made them victorious was not that they were delivered from the fiery furnace. No. They were victorious because they trusted God. Obeyed his word and defied the enemy in the face of death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were victorious because their faith was stronger than their doubt. And stronger than their fear. They were victorious because the approval of God was more important to them than the approval of man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were victorious because they did the right thing. Even if they had died in the furnace, they would have still been victorious because they chose what was right over what was easy and safe. A few minutes earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had threatened their lives. He was Now he was rewarding them with a promotion. Now, we all know, I mean, if you've been serving God for like more than a week, you know that life doesn't always turn out this way. The scriptures tell us, in fact, of many saints who stood strong in their faith and paid for it with their lives. So the question is this, how can we know what will happen? Well, we don't. 
We don't know. That's the point. We never know. Then what does God expect us to do? The same thing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. T-R-U-S-T. Trust Him. Trust Him. If you have to know in advance what God is going to do, that is not faith. If we have to know in advance what God... Now, see, I come from an accounting and business background. I want to lay it out on a, on a chart. I want the table laid out. I want to see the five-year plan. You know, I, Pastor and I were talking about that this afternoon. I, I want to see, okay, and have you ever... I don't know about you, but I, I think about things like this sometimes. I think, Lord, if you just told me what the expiry date on this trial is, I would be able to survive it, you know? It's got to have a shelf date, right? I mean, if I knew that the trial that I'm going through right now was going to end on October 31st, hey, I can do that, right? Just hang in there till October 31st. But God never tells, or He never tells me things like, maybe He tells you. He doesn't tell me things like that. We've got to really trust Him. Living the life of faith is not easy. If it were easy and reliably and immediately rewarding, then everybody would be doing it. The furnace is hot. That's the reason it's called a furnace. If you want to see your faith become purer and stronger, then you must go through the furnace. If you want to take it easy and relax, any sofa or recliner will do the job. Today, many professing Christians are more acquainted with a hot tub than a hot furnace. They want to be soothed, not sanctified. I'm glad you don't have tomatoes in your hands. Sacrifice is supposed to be painful. If it doesn't hurt at all, then it's not really a sacrifice. In that case, it is only a nominal donation or an empty religious ritual. I want to close with one more personal story. Last year was probably the worst year in ministry I've ever had. We were having demonic manifestations in the services. Direct attacks by certain persons in the church. And um, last September... Came home one Sunday afternoon and it had been another. This going, this sounds awful for a, a Christian to say, much less a pastor or a missionary. We had had another awful Sunday morning. We had given of ourselves. We had prayed. We had prepared. We had delivered anointed music and anointed message. And yet the demons were just fighting and fighting and fighting against us. I would come home drenched with sweat. When it's 45 and 50 degrees outside because of the fight, the spiritual fight going on in every service. I walked in that Sunday morning, a particular Sunday morning in September of last year. We were bringing our stuff in from the church because when you rent a facility, you got to take everything with you, you know. <clears throat> bringing our stuff in and Joy was ahead of me and she had her arms full. She laid her stuff down and. I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going back to the States. I said, I've had it. Joy just touched me on the hand and said, I'm going to go in and 
start getting lunch together in the kitchen. She knows there's times when she probably shouldn't say anything. Just let me blow off steam and, you know. I said, I'm, I'm going to go upstairs and change. And she probably thought, thank God, after 33 years, he's finally going to change. But I meant my clothes. <laughs> she got her hopes all up. <laughs> I went upstairs and started taking off my fancy clothes, you know, church clothes. I don't know how the Holy Spirit talks to you, but he usually gives it to me straight up. Holy Spirit very clearly said to me, I don't ever want to hear those words come out of your mouth again. He said, I sent you here. I called you here. And when I'm done with you, I'll let you know. Until then, you will be faithful. Now, I'm telling you, anybody, if you look at me, I'm going to look around this room right now. If you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to call you a liar to your face. <laughs> I'm not really going to do that. But you know what I'm you know what I'm saying, right? Who of us has not felt like packing it in? I'm not just talking about ministers. I'm talking we we all we all face struggles and we all feel like, aren't you glad that Jesus never gave up? If he had, we would have been in a peck of trouble. I'm just saying. We would have been in a mess if he had given up. I thank God for his patience with us, his mercy. Sacrifice looks different in each of our lives. I don't believe, I don't, I'll just be honest with you. I, I feel very awkward when somebody says you missionaries are our heroes. I think if we are doing God's will, whatever that looks like in our particular life, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. What, whatever that is. Then my calling is no more sanctified than yours is. It's just different. It's in a different location. And I know that you face trials and I face trials, but we serve the same faithful God. Amen. And he will get us through. I'd like to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to close with this, this number. Sing a, I see a victory. Can you bring up that song? Thank you, Brother Jimmy. And I want you to, if you know this song, sing it out with all your heart. And if you don't, you'll catch on to it real quick. All right? Just waiting on the keyboard to turn back That's on. okay. <laughs> Weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Hallelujah. My God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle.
you turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Father, would you help us to apply that truth in our lives tonight? Whatever we're going through, Lord, whatever we are facing right now, Lord, help us to remind ourselves that you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. We're going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. And we trust you. We will defy the enemy. We will stand on your word. And we will sacrifice everything for your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.